right. Well, it's been a while. About three weeks, I guess. And last time I taught, we taught from Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 through verse 15. And the three major things we covered during that teaching was uh, I went through some of the apostles, what their life was like, how they died, when they died, where they died. Uh, we talked about um, a worker being worthy of his food. And we also talked about the the doctrine of knowledge equals accountability. When we got to verse 15. Can anyone tell me one apostle they remember the most that how they died, remember where they died, when they died, anything that comes to mind? One that stuck out more than others? Yeah? Okay. Peter being and why was it crucified upside down? That's right. That's right. Now it's about 65 A.D. in Rome. Did any of the other apostles die in Rome? Yeah, Paul also died in Rome. But he didn't die by crucifixion for one reason, because he's a citizen of Rome. And it was a more worthy execution to have your head cut off. Um... Any, any other ones stick out to you, anyone? I'll say one that always sticks out to me is Bartholomew, who is most likely Nathaniel, which we talked about. That was another name for him. And uh, he was beat with uh, rods, cruci- uh, skinned alive, crucified upside down, but he still preached to people as they walked by, and then they finally cut his head off to get him to shut up. <laughs> that one, I always remember that one. It just really amazes me. He must have had some kind of supernatural strength to continue preaching after all those things had happened to him. And that's what you call persevering to the end. Right there. Okay, then we talked about a word of being worried of his food, food, and we went to 1 Corinthians 9, and I'll just quote one verse that really kind of sums up what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 9, which says uh, in verse 14, even so the Lord has commanded those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel, and he should not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And then also 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, 18 says, Let the elders who rule well be, be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, You should not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. And then we also talked about the doctrine of knowledge equals accountability. In verse 15 of Matthew 10 says, Surely I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah, and that they have judgment for that city, the city that rejects the teaching of the apostles. Why is that? Why is Sodom and Gomorrah going to have an easier judgment day than the, re- the cities that reject the preaching of the apostles? Anybody? So the reason why the cities that rejected the apostles would have greater judgment because they rejected greater knowledge. Sodom and Gomorrah didn't have apostles to preach to them. They had less knowledge. And even though Sodom and Gomorrah wiped off the face of the earth and fire was rained from heaven, people who reject the apostles' teaching will have a worse judgment day 
And this principle comes into play here of delayed judgment does not mean the absence of it. People think that because Sodom and Gomorrah were punished in the way they were, they're worse than everybody else. Not so. The people who are the worst in God's eyes are the people who have the most knowledge and yet reject it. Those are the people who are the worst in God's eyes. And they'll have a worse judgment day than the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. All right, so let's go into Matthew uh, chapter Sure. And now that we have the, the complete Bible, you know, we have a greater knowledge than even you know, one of the policies that comes to a, a city of preach. And we have all the accumulated wealth of knowledge of God's Word in one place. And America has this available everywhere. Mm -hmm. Copies of the Bible in hotel rooms and libraries everywhere, and people just ignore it. Yeah, I mean, people, if there's still cannibals in the middle of South Africa, South America, they're less accountable, even though they're cannibals, than people who have access to the Bible. Just having access to the Bible makes you accountable and not making use of that access to knowledge. But you're even worse off if you're raised in a Christian household, you hear the Word of God taught, and you reject it. You'll have a worse judgment day than the people who do wicked things that you would never think of doing but don't have knowledge of these issues. Because judgment is according to knowledge, accountability is according to knowledge. <clears throat> okay, so we're going to go from verse 16 all the way to verse 26 today. Okay, let's go ahead and read it. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. <clears throat> Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in the synagogues. In their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. When they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour that what you should speak. <clears throat> for it is not you who speak, but in the, the spirit of, the, of your father speaks in you. Now a brother will deliver a brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For surely I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher, and a servant like his master. If they called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be known. And I want to assert to you right off the bat that this passage we're reading through now, starting in verse 16, is talking about the future, not the immediate present where Jesus is talking to the apostles. And one thing I'll say just off the bat to prove that is that in verse, uh, at the end of verse 18 it says, A testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But we see in verse uh, 6 that Jesus commanded them specifically, or verse 5, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So his immediate command to the, the apostle who he's sending out, the twelve he's sending out, is to not go to the Gentiles. But then he talks about, starting in verse 16, I believe, about a future context that's going to apply to them, but it's also going to, to apply to us. So, uh, the first thing he says here is, Behold, I send you at a sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, Brother John, you're thinking about getting some sheep, and you're going to put a pasture up, and you're probably going to put a fence around it to protect them. And, uh, you know, a good, a good shepherd doesn't, doesn't uh, allow wolves to attack his sheep and, and uh, does whatever he can to protect them from the sheep. You know, that's what a natural good shepherd will do. 
Um, so you, you try to keep the wolves away or the coyotes away by putting a fence around and everything like that. But Jesus is doing the exact opposite here. He's not even putting a fence around. He's, he's sending them out to the wolves. Very interesting here. So we're, we're the sheep, and we're going out to the wolves. When have you ever seen a shepherd lead his sheep to the wolves? doesn't happen. But that's what Jesus is doing. He said, you're gonna, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And then he gives you some instructions in light of this sending out. Be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Serpents, you know, you think back to the, the uh, Genesis account with Satan in the garden. He was very sneaky, kind of cunning, uh, in a wicked way, of course. And Jesus is saying here, be wise as serpents. Or as my father-in-law to say, be sneaky as snakes. And it makes me think of that time when, after Paul first got saved, I think he was still called Saul at this point in time, and the Jews were threatening to kill him. They wanted to kill him. And he found out about it, and what did they do with him? They couldn't, they, they were blocking all the gates, and, and all, uh, you know, what, what, what did they do to him to get him out of the city? They put him in a basket and put him through the wall. He sneaked out of there. And what Jesus is saying here, because I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, and sheep aren't, obviously aren't the smartest animals in the world, but we aren't, that's where the analogy stops. But we're to be smart, we're to be wise, to be cunning in regards to the situation and, uh, and our interaction with the world. And, if, and Jesus will go on to say here in a minute that, that if you're persecuted in one city, what do what? Flee to the other. So we're to be careful of what the world's doing. You know, almost like watching our backs, I guess you could say. Not to the point where we're becoming so paranoid about things. We're still trusting in the Lord that he's going to protect us as our shepherd. But we're going to be wise in our dealings with them and what they're going to do and what they're going to try to do to us. As he goes on to say what they're going to do to us at the rest of this passage. But at the same time, be harmless, or another word for this Greek word, be innocent as doves. So we're to be Wise as serpents, but not in the sense that the devil was a serpent. Because he was evil. But we're going to be innocent, or blameless, or harmless in that sense. And doves, you look, you think about doves, it, they don't really do any damage to anything. They're just they're dumb birds, really. And uh, when it comes to evil, we should be as dumb as the doves are intellectually. We should have nothing to do with evil. We should be dumb concerning it. Harmless or innocent concerning evil things. That's what God wants us to be concerning evil things. To the point where we're not, we're not up with all the, the evil of the world. We should be harmless concerning those things. Innocent concerning those things. Dumb concerning those things. Just like the doves are. But we're to be wise at the same time. And this is why. Jesus goes on to say why you're to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men. Beware of them. For they will... Deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. For you were brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. So there's that part, once again, it's talking about the future, obviously. And that would apply to us. And you see in the book of Acts, this happens at times. You know, Paul comes before King Agrippa. Um, Peter and, and John are brought before the council. And you see this happening. And, uh, we, and our, when we look through the lives of the other apostles, we see this, a lot of them were brought before kings, Gentile kings. But it wasn't until after 
the day of Pentecost, because it wasn't until then that Jesus said, go into all the world, or go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But after that, he said, wait until you receive power from on high, and then do those things. So these things wouldn't actually begin to happen until after the day of Pentecost began. That's when they were going to all the world and the Gentiles. But even then, we know that they didn't, they didn't go to the Gentiles very, uh, right away. It wasn't until James the Apostle was killed that there was a little bit of a dispersion. And Stephen was killed. There's a little dispersion from that. And they decided to start going out. It's almost like God was pushing them out. And even then, Peter had to get a vision from God in order to go to Cornelius' house. And if you read the, the account with Peter and Cornelius, the first Gentile we have on a rector, record of getting saved, uh, we see that when he brought the other Jewish people with him, that he was hesitant to offer them water. Because it wasn't until he saw the sign of them receiving the Holy Spirit, they started to speak in tongues, the same sign they had on Pentecost, that they said, well, who can forbid water from them? It wasn't until then he said, well, who can forbid water now? Almost like he was looking to his Jewish friends, I can't forbid water from the Gentiles, but I, look, you see the same thing I see, the same thing we experienced on the day of Pentecost. How can I forbid them water? It took all these things God was doing to get them even then to go out to the Gentiles. So this is obviously something talking about in the future. For the future for the apostles, this is obviously the beginning of their ministry with Jesus, so it's probably at least two or three years away that this would begin for them, and then it's, of course, applying to us, because we're going to the Gentiles as well. This is in verse 19, But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. And this reminds me of, of what happened with Stephen. And in Acts chapter 6, uh, before Stephen is brought before the council here, he, these other, uh, this other synagogue of called the Freedmen, in Matthew, uh, Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through, through uh, 15, uh, says, Then they arose from what is called the synagogue of the Freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. And that's what will happen when you're brought before councils. And you see, when he brought before the council, he gave a whole history of, of Jewish history. And then he gave them a really strong rebuke. And they were cut to the heart and they gnashed their teeth at him and closed their ears and stoned him to death. But they couldn't resist what he was saying. They couldn't dispute or argue with what he was saying because it was from the Holy Spirit, which is what Jesus says here. From that hour, it will be given to you what you should speak. For it's not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. So they can't argue with him. So what do they do? They kill him. And what you'll find as you, as you grow up, and maybe you run into Christians who disagree with you on things, uh, for those of us who already are growing up, we realize this already, um, you'll find that oftentimes when people can't argue with what you're saying from the Bible, they'll either call you names, they'll misrepresent your position, or they'll try to uh, hurt you in some way. And this happens in the open air with sinners. They, they get angry with you. They'll start, even professing Christians, they can't argue with what you're saying from the Bible. They'll start cussing at you. They'll spit at you. They'll say something to you because they can't deal with what you're saying because it's from God's Word and from the Holy Spirit. So we shouldn't have to be concerned with those things. We see the same example with Peter and John in Acts 4.13. Where this, this, the council realized that these were unlearned men. They said they realized they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. And Jesus said this to them all the time. He confounded them with his words. 
And even the people realized that Jesus was a person who spoke with authority, not like the Pharisees and Sadducees, teachers of the law. And we see this with uh, Paul and King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, 28. And King Agrippa said, Paul, thou almost persuaded me to be a Christian. And he had to send him away before he was under even more conviction. So when we're brought before people, we, God will give us the words to speak. And uh, we should pray that when we go to the open air and we speak to people, that's what I've been praying for Brother Kevin and Sister Tabitha all week, that God will give them the words to speak. That's what I pray for myself when I go to the open air. That God will give me the words to speak. That I would speak what he wanted me to speak. Now verse 21 says, Now brother would deliver up brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to put to death. <laughs> so here's a hard question for you in verse 21. Which side will you be on? Will you be the brother that puts brother to death? Will you be the child that delivers up his father or mother? Or will you be the one who delivered up by your brother, your sister, your child? Very important question to ask. These things are going to happen according to Jesus. The only question you have to ask yourself is which side of the equation are you going to be on? And you will be hated by all for my name's sakes, but he who endures to the end will be saved. This doesn't just go against the normal American version of Christianity, which says, oh, you sh the world shouldn't hate you. You go to the open air and preach the whole, almost the whole crowd's against you and say, look, professing Christians say, look, everyone hates you. You're not like Jesus. Well, they don't read Jesus' words, do they? The whole world, you'll be hated by the whole world for my name's sake. Now, of course, Hopefully, that's the reason we're getting hated. If we're getting hated because we're rude or because we're saying inflammatory things or being unnecessarily offensive or insulting people for no good reason, then we're not being hated for his name's sake or being hated for our foolishness' sake. But when we're preaching the undulterated word of God, the pure word of God, the whole counsel of God, we will be hated. And we should realize that. And we know we've talked about this many times in this fellowship, but it needs to be beaten into our heads. I mean, the only reason we're talking about it a lot is because Jesus talked about it a lot. All the time he talked about it. But he who endures to the end will be saved. So even though you're hated, you must endure it. You must endure it to the end. Realize that death has lost its sting if you're a Christian. Don't let the potential sting of death by giving in to not enduring to the end, if your life is threatened or your family's life is threatened. If we're truly Christians, death has lost its things. So we have no reason to fear it. No matter how torturous it'll be. If we don't endure to the end, we will not be saved. Which is obviously talking about a final salvation. Not an initial salvation, which is being born again. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For surely I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So one of the reactions we can have to persecution is to flee. But we can also stand. We don't have to flee. Paul stood. There came a point in time where he stood. Even though a prophet came to him, tied up his hands and his feet, is this what will happen to you in Israel? He stood his ground and went anyway. And then he went to speak to, to the, the emperor of Rome. Like God uh, wanted him to. One response we cannot give to persecution is to push somebody back or to use physical violence back or to return evil for evil. Not return good for evil. Not evil for evil. And oftentimes I've seen 
open air preacher in the open air, they get insulted by someone. They have a, a flesh reaction to have a comeback, we call it, back in the old days. If someone insults you, you do a comeback. You do a, a, something back to them that, that makes them even worse. It's a better comeback than what they said to you in the first place. You know, in the, back in those days when I was a sinner, we had something called mama jokes. And someone would make fun of your mama and say something about your mama. And you'd, you'd tell a mama joke back to them that was supposedly better than the one I told, told about your mama. And that's called a comeback. And I see this sometimes in open-air preachers, that, they, that someone will say insulting to them, and they'll say something insulting in return. As like a comeback. But we're not to return evil for evil, but good for evil. So we need to keep a tight ring on our tongue in that situation. But I want to focus on here on a second, for, for a little while, this saying that says, I want to... Well, I say to you, you will not have gone through the city of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now, there's a, a teaching about the end times called preterism. Preterism. Okay? Which says that Jesus returned in A.D. 70. Okay? Because in A.D. 70, the temple was destroyed. And the end times, a passage like Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, all these passages about the end times talk about the temple being destroyed. And the temple was destroyed in AD 70, so they say, well, Jesus came back in AD 70. And they'll use this verse right here as one of their verses to prove that Jesus came back. Because look, they, they must have gone through the cities of Israel by then. I mean, it wouldn't have taken that long to go through the cities of Israel. And uh, as I said before, this all this, I believe, is future tense. So the question we have to, I want to ask our, we want us to ask ourselves this morning has the Son of Man returned? And my answer is no. And now let's go through some text that I think will prove that. Let's first go to Matthew chapter 24. And uh, in Matthew 24, we see in verse 14, one of the things that must happen first before the end will come. It says this, this is Jesus speaking in Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So until the gospel is preached all throughout the world, the end will not come. And we talked about it before, but remember, the gospel started in Jerusalem and basically, for the most part, went west. It's coming around the globe, and it's now just going through the Muslim nations. All the Muslim nations is going to finally get back to Israel, and then the end will come. So the gospel has not been preached to all the world, so the end has not come yet. And uh, Brother Kevin hinted at this one time, we are talking about this, but in 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, we see here Peter talking about the day of the Lord. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. He says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. Have the heavens passed away with a great noise yet? And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hasting the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness will dwell. So we're looking for a new heaven and a new earth. 
And, but the, what I want to focus on here is verse 12 says, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. And in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus is just about to be taken up uh, and sent to heaven, his disciples ask him a question. And they, they ask him, they say, um, in verse 6, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And listen how he responds. It's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So instead of focusing on when the end will come, because he doesn't know it, only the Father knows those things, he points them back to what they're supposed to be doing, preaching the gospel. And then by preaching the gospel, we hasten the coming of the day of the Lord, because not until that's done will he come back. Not until that's done can all these other events begin to happen in this end-time process. Okay, So the whole earth has not been evangelized, but evangelizing places where the, evangel- the, the gospel is not gone will hasten the coming of the day of the Lord. Not only that, but in Matthew chapter 24, going back to that again, we see what it'll be like when he comes back. In verse uh, 26, we're talking about false Christs and false prophets here. It says in Matthew 24, 26, Therefore, if they say to you, Look, he's in a desert. Do not go out. Look, he's in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. They're saying he's coming basically secretly. In the inner rooms or in a desert. And he says, and this is how Jesus says he'll appear. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. From the east to the west. The whole globe will see his coming. And then verse 29 it says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the heaven, and on all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the earth, heaven to the other. So it doesn't sound like Jesus is coming secretly, or quietly, or only spiritually. In fact, in Acts 1, when they're still looking in the sky, the angel says, what are you doing? In the same manner he left, the same manner he shall return. And so we see here that there is no secret coming of Jesus in AD 70. There's no secret rapture of Jesus like the pre-trib rapture people would have you believe. He's coming for all to see. And these things have not happened yet. Uh, Let's go to the sixth seal in Revelation chapter 6 and see what that says about his coming. Now, if you remember, we were going through Revelation with Pastor Tim Warner. We had our charts which lined up the seals and the trumpets and the bowls. And the sixth seal was the very end. The seventh seal was even into the thousand-year reign. Where the seventh trumpet was the very end, and the, uh, the seventh bowl was the very end. But the sixth seal was the very end. The seventh seal went into the, went into the new kingdom. So let's look at the sixth seal here, Revelation chapter 6, and verse 12 through 17. It says, I looked when he opened the sixth seal. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became blood. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? So Jesus just said. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth. And the stars there probably means comets or meteors, not literal stars. As a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. 
Then the sky receded as a scroll when it was rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. That sounds like a big earthquake. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and the rocks and the mountains, and said to the, the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? You're not going to convince me that happened in 87, or that's going to happen secretly in the future either. These people know he's coming. His enemies know he is coming. Uh, the seventh trumpet, Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. Then the seventh angel sounded, and, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sat before God in their thrones fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, we give, you, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. In the time of the dead, they should be judged. And that you should reward your servants and prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and an earthquake and great hail. That's not secret or quiet either. Um, the two witnesses have not come. We see the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 through 14. They have not come yet. They must come before Christ comes back. Uh, Thess 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, talks about what will happen before Christ comes back as well. Starting in verse 1 and going through verse 12. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. So the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him are the same event, the same take place at the same time. We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. What do you know? People back then were even saying the day of Christ had already come. It's like people today are saying the day of Christ has already come, or it's going to come secretly in the future. No, not so, friends. Let no one deceive by any means that the day, that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, that's the Antichrist, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself but all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you that I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according with the, of the working, to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. They may all be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So the coming of the lawless one is being restrained right now by God. But there will come a time when he will let go his restraining, and he will come. And that's, that's when we'll know the end times are near. The very end is near. And the abomination, abomination of desolation, which is when the Antichrist goes into the temple of God, does away with the sacrifice and exalts himself as God in the temple of God. And that has not happened yet. And that's talked about in Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel chapter 9. I want to look at that just real quick. 
And uh, in Daniel 7, there is a vision of four beasts, which are four kingdoms. The first kingdom is the Babylonian kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. The second is the Persian kingdom of Cyrus. The third is, or not just Cyrus, but the Persian kingdom. The fourth kingdom is a Greek kingdom led by Alexander the Great. Oh, that's the third kingdom, sorry. And then the fourth kingdom is uh, led by ten kings. And one little horn pops up in the midst of these ten kings. This is the Antichrist. He speaks pompous words. So back in Daniel chapter 7, verse 8, So I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little horn, a little one, coming up amongst them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. So the Antichrist is a little horn that appears in the midst of the other horns, which is the fourth beast. And it says, um, I watched him, down in verse 11, it says, I watched him because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain, and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. Sounds familiar what Paul just said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He would consume him with the flames of his mouth. Jesus Christ would consume him. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season at any time. And then in verse 15, it, it's explained to him. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Those great beasts, which are four, are four kings or kingdoms which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with his teeth of iron as nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with his feet. And the ten horns which were, uh, that were on its head, and the other horn which came up before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, the Antichrist, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them, until the Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and a time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall, shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different kingdoms from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth. So this kingdom will shall devour the whole earth. Be a one-world government. This last kingdom, this fourth kingdom. And trample and break into pieces. The ten horns are ten kings, or kingdoms, who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the first ones, and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given to his hand for a time and times and a half a time. Anytime you see a time and times and a half time, means three and a half years. Okay? So for three and a half years, the saints shall be given into his hand. But the court shall be seated. They shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So this last kingdom shall belong to the saints and the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man. The Ancient of Days and the Son of Man have not come yet. The Antichrist has not come yet. He has not persecuted the saints yet. He's not exalted himself as God in the temple of God yet. This is called the abomination of desolation. 
Go ahead, man. Those are the kingdoms of the earth. Yeah, these are the, the fourth kingdom. It says, shall be different from all other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth, trample and break it in pieces. The ten horns in the midst of this fourth kingdom are ten kings, or ten kingdoms. The kings are representative of the kingdoms who will arise from this kingdom. So in the end, there shall be ten kingdoms. But it says, another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. So probably the most, maybe the most uh, powerful of these ten kings or kingdoms, three of them will see, shall be subdued by this one little horn that pops up with eyes and a mouth and this vision, and he subdues them, and he controls the whole earth. And this is the Antichrist. And he shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and, and shall, he'll intend to change times and laws, and the saints shall be given to his hand for a time, and, uh, and times and half a time, so three and a half years. The saints shall be, so he shall persecute the saints. And then in Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. At that time, Michael shall stand up. Michael the archangel. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. There shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine with the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So when the very end comes, we shall be delivered. And there'll be those who are sleeping in the dust of the earth that shall awake, and some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. That's what you see happening at the end when the Son of Man comes. So going back once again to verse 23, I know we got talked about it a lot here. When it says, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Once again, it's talking about future. It's not directly talking about these apostles. Okay? Now, obviously, I don't think they went through the, all the towns of Israel either before the Son of Man comes at the very end. Maybe they didn't get a chance to go through. But what I'm trying to tell you is this. There's no way the Son of Man coming in AD 70 is a proper interpretation of this verse. No way. In light of all the rest of the verses that it's went through, and there's lots more that I could have gone through. So the Son of Man comes at the very end. It's not a secret coming to take his church away out of the tribulation because the Bible makes it clear that the, that the Antichrist will persecute the saints. And they'll be given unto him for three and a half years to do that. And um, we'll be here. We must endure to the end to be saved. <clears throat> and when Christ comes back to the end, the whole world will know it. They will see There'll be no mistaking it for anything else. There'll be no saying, hey, didn't you hear about this? This guy out in the desert. Hey, this guy appeared to me in my room. No, we'll all know. The enemies of God will know. The saints of God will know. Yes. And uh, there'll be no mistaking it. So, and he goes on to say, he gives us encouragement here, that a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. They treated Jesus in such a way they're going to treat you that way. If it's enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master, if they call the master of the house Beelzebub, it's a very derogatory term. It's like saying the, I think it's like the Lord of the Flies is what it means. It's a uh, Philistine deity. So he's not really God. He's, he's, a, he's a pagan false god, so they're called Jesus. If they called him that, sure, they'll call us false teachers. That's what they'll call us. 
You're saying we can stop sinning? You're a false teacher. We can't stop sinning. If they call Jesus a pagan deity, surely they'll call us the same, or even worse. But the encouragement Jesus gives in verse 26 is this. Therefore, do not fear them. Even though you're a sheep in the midst of wolves, do not fear them. For there's nothing covered that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be known. And Paul says something very similar to this in Romans chapter 12. We've read this several times, but I want to read it for you again to remind you. Romans chapter 12, verses 19 through 21. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Once again, delayed judgment concerning the people who will persecute us, who have persecuted us, does not mean the absence of it. The encouragement we have is that in the end, we will be victorious with Jesus Christ. And that's what we should be looking forward to. Okay. Any questions? Daniel 7. Which, uh, which passage are you talking about? Which verse? Okay. Um, the very last part is verse 26. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of, of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Okay. All the whole earth will serve and obey him. No, no. That what what they the people they were in control of will serve him. Remember, in the very end, there's three groups of people. There's the saints who are living on. Well, I guess it's before groups of people. There's the saints who are living on earth, saints who are dead. There's the enemies of God who are coming against him with with the Antichrist, and then there's those who are in either none of those groups. They're kind of indifferent towards the situation. And those are the ones who will be ruled by Jesus Christ for a thousand years. They'll marry and, and have birth, give birth to children. They'll die. And they have an opportunity to give their life to Jesus Christ. Right. Right. Well, Zechariah is even a better passage concerning this, I think. The last part of Zechariah uh, Zechariah 14, and starting in verse 16, says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So there's nations that came against him, but the people who are left, after he's destroyed his enemies in the very end, they'll be left, uh, they'll go up year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And, of course, tabernacle means God is dwelling with men. 
And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there shall be no rain. So there'll be punishment even that time for those who do not come up year to year to worship the king of kings. And so they will have time. And if you look, go back to verse I mean, Daniel chapter 7 again. Something that kind of stuck out here while I was reading through this uh, as I studied for this message. Daniel 7.12 says, And for the rest of the beast, which is kingdoms here, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. It's talking about those people who are going to be left on earth, who are not Christians, who Jesus will rule over, and the saints will rule over, because it's the saints' kingdom too, because they have an inheritance with the Son from the Father. So they will have an opportunity to... And those are the ones, the ones who are left who do not worship the king, they will not have rain on their land, so they'll have a hard time growing crops without any water. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do about that. Uh, but those are the ones who, in the end, when the... Satan is released for a, a period of time. It says in uh, Revelation 20, verse 7, Now when the thousand years has expired, Satan will be released from his prison. We don't know how long. And we go out to see the nations within the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is the sand of the sea. So he, he goes out to deceive the nations again. And people are, even though Christ has been ruling on earth now for a thousand years with the saints, people are still going to reject him. I mean, talk about free will. How much influence can you give someone? God's not forcing them. That's about as close as you can come to force. To have Jesus in the flesh. They'll not want to say, I can't see God anymore, like the atheists say these days. Shows you how foolish atheism is. But, you know, those days, they're still going to join Satan. And so they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city, which is Jerusalem. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then there's a great white throne judgment. And those people who came up against him will be judged then too. And that'll be the end. That'll be it. And, uh, you know, when we're done with Matthew, which probably won't be to maybe next summer, <laughs> the rate we're going, uh, I, I hope to teach the Revelation. I'm still putting it all together and for myself. And all right. Um. Let's see. Was that Matthew 24? It was either Matthew 24 or it was uh, Revelation 6, I think, one or the other. It's the sixth seal, I think. Yeah, that's Revelation 6, 12 through 17. Incredible to think about that island being moved out of its place. But you know, that's exactly what happened to Japan. Uh -huh. The whole island was moved out of its place. Right. Just a little bit. Right. And caused that to Incredible destruction. Yep. Yep. And that's nothing compared to what it's going to be like, though. Right.
That's, this is going to be a lot worse than that. Right. Yeah. Yep, it's growing. These are the uh, labor pains. But we don't know how we're not that too far apart right now. They're false labor. Not the seven years yet. Not the seven minutes before the baby's born. Alright, I guess we'll stop there.